we are in the middle of this DR discipleship um, methodology envisionment that I'm, I'm trying to bring to you guys. And uh, last week, I, um, I, I realized something that I, I think I'm trying to rush through this thing because it feels didactic and dry to sit here with a sheet of, like a handout for you guys and go through bullet points. Um, but I think that my goal needs to be more doing this well than opposed to doing it really quickly or doing it in a way that um, doesn't feel as great as another way. So what, what I want to do today is to try to say to myself and to say to you, let's just take this seriously and focus on this and, and me not worry about getting it all done in the next 35 minutes. Um, and instead of keeping you guys for an hour and 35 minutes, if, if there's portions we need to get to next week, then we can get to those next week. Um, so I'm going to just try to uh, slow down from my end, but also not tax you guys with a lot of overwhelming teaching today. Um, so we'll be able to simmer it a little bit more deeply, and the goal is going to be to do this well as opposed to me rushing through it to get it all done once and for all forever. If you guys remember, I started this whole discussion by, by, um, by talking in that very first message about the fact that a church is not a, it's not a, what is it not? Anybody know? It's not a building, right? And nor is a church an e event. It's not a church building, and it's not an event. Church people, churches use buildings and they use events, right? But that's not what it is. What is a church? Yeah, it's people. It's people, and, and a particular kind of people. The church is, Peter says it this way, he says the church is the household of the living God. The church is the household of the living God. That's a really like weighty way of saying what? The church is a family. It's a family. It's a household full of brothers and sisters under one father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or one father, God, and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. The firstborn of all the brothers and sisters in the church is Jesus Christ. And we're his brothers and we're his sisters. And we all follow him under one father. And so from that, I, I, I pose to you guys that, that that's the natural framework that the, all these one another's exist in the New Testament. All the one another's exist, not in the framework of simply being moral or in the framework of, of trying to have a really great looking community that we can invite friends to. All those are good things. The church exists because, the one another's exist because the church is a family of brothers and sisters that we really are called to love each other as in our deepest desires we would want to love our brothers and sisters. All of us know deep in our hearts that in our families, we wish they were like this and we wish they weren't like this, right? Some of us experience great family systems and great mothers and dads and some of us experience terrible family situations. But even when we, we experience terrible family situations, we experience terrible family situations because we know deep down inside it's not supposed to be like this. It wasn't supposed to be like this. My dad wasn't supposed to be like that. My mom wasn't supposed to be like this. My brother and sister, they weren't supposed to treat me like this, right? We all just know so much of that intuitively. Well, God says, I want you to be the family that you wish you had. I want you to be the family that you know deep in your heart that you're called to be um, when I first gave you a family. And so from that flow all these one another's, right? And that's what you have in the very first section of these of our discipleship, uh, discipleship model here, the one another's. Um, so one of the big things that I tried to condition last week and I qualified it to death was the fact that this picture I'm giving you of this discipleship model that's in, this, in these pages is, is optional. You can do it all kinds of different ways, right? What's optional is what discipleship looks like specifically, like how many people you meet with, where you meet with them, how long you meet for them, what time you meet with them. 
It's all optional. What's not optional are the one another's. All these one another's we see. The New Testament's filled over and over and over again with these commandments to love each other like family, to be devoted to one another in love, to bear one another's burdens, to be forbearing and tender-hearted and forgiving, to be long-suffering with one another, to be gentle with each other and patient with each other, for love's sake, to speak the truth to one another, point each other towards Jesus, to not neglect meeting with each other like we're doing this morning, to pray for one another fervently, to bring our burdens to each other and to be a people who can bear each other's burdens. On and on and on it goes. You can look at a, <clears throat> you can look at a non-exhaustive list on that very first page of the DRs. Those things aren't optional, those one another's. So the, the discipleship model changes, but the one another's don't. But a lot of times, it's important and good when you have some sort of structure to live and exist in. I remember a long time ago, uh, many years ago, I was in a church where th they practiced date nights, right? It was like this expectation in, in all the marriages across the church, you're all gonna have a date night, right? You're gonna have a date. You're gonna have a night each week where you and your wife are gonna hire a babysitter or get your firstborn to watch the kids while you as a husband go romance your wife. You talk with her, you draw her out, you love with, on her, you, you give, you know, you take her to a, a nice dinner or something, but you, you pay attention exclusively only to her. All the husbands in the church were called to have date nights. And it was like, it was like almost like a religious thing, like, you will have a date night. Being a good husband equaled having a date night. You know, if, if, if you are, um, if you're like ready to fill that structure with real attention and love and sacrifice and time, it's a wonderful thing. But it could get to the place where like, if you don't have a date night, you're not a good husband. <laughs> you know, if you're not having a date night, you're not a good couple. And then that gets kind of creepy. And then that starts to get like, well, the gospel or a date night? What is it? Wh which way is it? And so I, one of the pastors at that church said uh, in trying to like deconstruct that idea that like date, mar all marriages have to have a date and it looks like this. He said this thing I've never forgot. He said, husbands, it's your job to pursue your wives. It's your job to to romance them. It's, their, it's your job to seek after their good and, and attend to them. It doesn't have to look like date nights. And then he said this, and I've never forgot it, but it has to look like something. And I thought that was so good. It doesn't have to look like date nights. Rebel against the tyranny of structured, rote, legalistic date nights. Freedom! Okay, but what are you going to do now? What, do you, what ways are you going to practically walk out loving your wife? Like it's got to look like something. So I just, I just always thought that was great. I think it applies to almost every dimension of our life. I don't have to have a 45-minute quiet time every morning to, to show my devotion to God and my prayer time and my time in his word doesn't have to look like yours. It doesn't. And that gets weird when we start telling each other, expecting each other that it has to look like this. And, but it has to look like something. It should look like something. If he says, let the word dwell richly in you, it doesn't have to look like the way it looks like for Isaac, but it should look like something. If he says, be devoted in prayer, it doesn't have to look like Michael. He's gonna do another prayer night on Friday night. If you wanna come with me, I'm gonna try to make it work this time. Um, going to his house on Friday night from seven, Michael's gonna pray until 2 a.m. 
I, he would never tell you guys, he's not trying to boast, but it's like, there's just something going on in Michael Cotton right now. The Lord is doing some really beautiful work. And, and I'm just like, I want to I wanna get on that, you know? <laughs> so I'm going to try to go over on Friday night and spend some time in prayer, crying out to God for change, for deeper surrender, for growth in areas that are sticking points in my life. And be able to do that with Michael and Kate and, and sit there in their home and not have to do it on my own and it's lonely and dark and <laughs> it, gets, it gets tiring. To do it with people is, is so much better when you're trying to pray long. You know, these Tuesday nights prayer meetings, they're so sweet uh, to me so often because I get to pray with other people and I don't get distracted as easily or discouraged as easy when I hear their voices praying too. So you don't have to do it like that though. You don't have to do it like that. But, but you need to do it like something. It needs to look like something in your life. So that's kind of the idea here with the DRs. It doesn't have to look like this, discipling one another. But discipling one another should look like something. So that's it. So what we, we, we started last week with this. I presented to you this simple model, discipleship relationships. We call them DRs, discipleship groups. The idea is just a small group of people, three to four people. We don't do, we're not talking about the care group model where you know, you're in a room with 17 people. I told you one of my care groups got to be 40 people because we want to make it small enough in this model, which is optional, we want to make it small enough that people get attention. People can't hide. Or people can't be neglected. So three to four is a good number for that. Um, and if you, if, if you have a group of six, and, and you know, maybe you'll break up into two groups. That would be great if you want to multiply. That stuff's in, in the heading section. Something I didn't mention last week that I think is really good that I think we should remember. That if you're going to do a DR, and you're going to say we're in a DR, we're doing this thing, I think you guys, everybody needs to agree how long you're going to be together to do it. You know, because what happens, and I've seen this happen in, in some of the DRs, and it's partly my bad leadership, is like, you, you don't set an end date on it, you know? And so, like, let's say that, that I say to you guys, we're going to start DRs sometime in November. I'd like to see DRs starting, and I would. I'd, I'm going I'm to call you guys at the end of today and next week to tell me if you're willing to sign up for a DR. And, 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 and sometime in November, I'd love to see DRs form. Don't have to do it my way, but I'd love to see them start in November at some point. And I'd love to suggest to you that by the end of May, you wrap it up. And you don't have to. But what you should do is make sure that everybody's on the same page about whether or not you're going to. Because you don't want it to just kind of end floppy and sad and weird where you're like, oh, uh, are we meeting? I can meet. Well, I don't know if we're meeting. And then one of the, you know, you have four people in your DR and three of them are like, are we meeting? And then the fourth person's in like Aruba you know, for like three weeks and they come back and it just, and then it like fizzles out and then like you realize the DR has been sitting on the shelf for two months and, and like nobody knows what you're doing or where you're going. So somebody in that group should be a point person to say, when are we starting, when are we stopping, right? This is just part of the, the DR idea and, and it's good when you first meet together to go over this, this thing and, and to walk through it together and try to answer some of the questions. And in, um, in, in one of the first few pages, I think it's under the heading that says, starting a DR, DR. I think it's on, for you guys, it's gonna be on like the third page. Um, I go through all the things that you wanna get through in your first meeting. Like you gotta figure out under point two, um, when and how often you will meet together, what you will use as a resource, for how long you'll meet. Those are three very easy but basic questions you wanna figure out and just say, we're gonna do it from November to May. And at the end of that time, at the end of May, you need to release each other. Nobody should feel like, well, man, why are you dumping me? <laughs> well, we agreed to stop in May. We're gonna reassess, right? And, and if everybody said, we don't wanna stop in May, then nobody, you know, if the, Albert says that we were gonna suggest we stop in May, 
Who cares? It's not in the Bible. Don't stop in May. But make sure everybody's on board with that, right? And, and release everybody in May because maybe somebody feels like, you know, it, it's, if you're going to be committed to each other, it's easier to commit if you know what the commitment looks like, right? If it's not open-ended and you're signing up to be in a deep, committed discipleship relationship with someone from now until you die. Like, that's called marriage, so you don't want to necessarily call people to, to that kind of thing um, without their being willing to do that. So to give everybody, you know, my suggestion is seven months tops is a good DR, you know. But, but it can look different. Some of you guys are working on your, like, third year of, of being in DR together. That's awesome. It doesn't have to look like what I'm saying it should look like. But, but the point is to be on the same page together. And by the way, once you make that commitment, keep the commitment. That's another thing about the good thing about making a commitment like this. It's much easier to keep a commitment if you know that there's an end point to it, right? It's much easier. When, when I've done like, um, you know, like prayer seasons where I've challenged some of you guys, let's do, let's do 30 days of prayer in the book of John together, you know? I, I will try to entice you by saying it's just 30 days. Let's try it for 30 days. Every day we're going to spend blah, blah, blah amount of time. So you want to come to an agreement on what it looks like, okay? Okay. Um, you do want to choose, I said this last week, so I'm going to breeze through it. You want a leader. You want a point person, okay? And, 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 and if you do a DR and you have a point person, I'm going to ask you who that person is because I'm going to try to stay in touch with them to make sure they're getting the help they need and they're helping you along the ways. So you can look at what the point person is on that, uh, that second and third page in here, okay? But I went over that last week, so I don't want to go over it too much. But, but read through it. It's good. Try to, you know... Make it concise. It's much more concise on this, these sheets of paper than I am as a speaker. So go through those things. Um, part two is what happens in a DR meeting. What do you do? Okay. Now, your first meeting, your first few meetings are going to be different because you're going to be getting to know each other, learning about each other's history, trying to figure out what everybody wants out of this thing, okay? and, and going over this again and, and making sure you're in agreements about what the flow is going to be. But, but after a while, you want to get in a routine. And what I propose in the DR model is that there's three basic components of fellowship that are indispensable. Like, not everybody has to be fasting all the time. Not everybody has to be, um, you know, doing, like, singing worship songs all the time. But I think in general, in fellowship, there are three indispensable components that if you don't have these components for long periods of time, it may not be fellowship. And that's the truth of God knowing each other and, and who you are together in your lives, your struggles, your joys, and then praying for each other. So it's just three simple things, truth, life, and prayer, truth, life, and prayer. And um, last week, I really tried to appeal to you guys that um, as maybe dry as it can feel sometimes, I really want to encourage you and challenge you to have God's word in some manner or form in your discipleship uh, methodology. And uh, it doesn't have to look like this, but that you want to make it your aim when you're just meeting someone for coffee to encourage them to bring the truth of God into that coffee meeting. You know, you, you, you don't want to turn it into a just horizontal exchange. You want to bring the vertical of God into each other's life. If I ask you guys to think about the most crucial spiritual relationships in your life that you've ever had, like if, if you go back in the Rolodex of your mind and you think, who were those most pivotal people in my life as I've been a Christian? If I look back, for good, better, not bad people, but good people. And you think, like, what, it, what was it that they did that, that I just, that, was, that makes me remember them, that makes me be thank, feel so thankful for them? What is it that they did? Or what is it that they do? Like, who are those people that are just kind of, you know, to use vernacular, they're just rock stars 
in, in, your, in your life with God? Like, what is it that they do? I bet you that what you can say about them is that they helped you see Jesus better. I bet you that they helped you see God more. That they helped you become more the person that you want to be as a follower of Jesus. I bet you that they gave you more hope in God. I bet you that those people who were the funniest people, but just hilarious people you love to be with, but they didn't talk to you about Jesus, you didn't engage with them about Jesus, I bet you they're not in that slot when you think about the most pivotal people in your life spiritually. It's great to have funny people in your life. I love funny people. But the people that I, that just are embedded way deep down in the very core of my being are those people who help me not to give up on Jesus, who help me not to give up on him, who help me to see hope in him. That's what we're here for. Like, that's what discipleship is. That's what we want to be doing. We don't want to just be canoeing or watching great movies, which can be great, right? But man, no, I want to be, man, I want to be with those people who help me hold on to God and help me have hope in God. And that's what we want to bring in to our meetings. And, and that's what God's word can, can help us do, right? So I talked to you guys about resources for that. Ta-da! I have one of my favorite books. I'm using this. It's one of my favorite resources for, for me right now as I preach through Romans because it's spoken in layperson's language. Like it's, it's, not, it's not like way up here and I can't get to it. It's, it's on my level. And, it's, and it's, I think it's gonna be on your level too. Um, it's not written for seminarians. It's written for you. And, and it's called Romans for You, Tim Keller. Uh, I, I told you, last night, uh, Pam put in all of your inboxes if you're on our email list. And if you're not on our email list, you should be on our email list because you get resources like this. Pam sent you links to this series of God's Word for You. So it's just a whole bunch of Bible books, different authors, but it's all about the Bible, God's word, getting it, speaking it to you in a way you can understand and giving you really simple questions that you can use in a discipleship group or in your own devotions. But great resources. I just really want to commend that to you. I think the teachers are faithful. I think they're sound. They, they care about truth and being faithful to it. And I think they explain things in a good way. Pat. This, this book is called Romans for You, right? In fact, every book in the series is called The Bible Book for You. So Judges for You, Mark for You, Luke for You, uh, Deuteronomy for You. And then up here is gonna be the, the title. The name of the series, I think, is called God's Word for You. But you all have a link to it in your inbox. So this is great for your own personal devotions. It's also great for something like a DR. And other, other ways I can serve is Sermon questions. If you guys are in a DR and you want to use sermon questions, I talked about that last week. I'm repeating myself. Blah, blah, blah. Albert, stop it. Get on, get on, get on. Okay. So also in your DR at the very end is if you just want to read a book of the Bible or you want to read a discipleship book. Like, man, my favorite book growing up as a Christian was C.S. Lewis's The Problem of Pain or C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, right? Well, he doesn't have a study guide to it. There's probably a ton of study guides you can find online. But if you can't, I just wrote some, what, are, what I called flex questions, flexible questions that you can use for any resource. So if you bring in your favorite book, right? Whatever the book is, name me one of your favorite Christian books. It's not a Bible book. Uh, in the Shadow of the Almighty, the Jim Elliott story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Crazy Love probably has discussion questions. I wouldn't be surprised. But I don't think the Jim Elliott book's probably gonna have discussion questions. So you take people through a biography of Jim Elliott's life. 
I just would try to make sure that you bring God's word into that. But Kate, I set you up. I set you up. I'm just saying you could use these questions for that book, okay? You're gonna get God's heart through that Jim Elliott book, by the way. It's amazing, so I shouldn't, like, yeah. I wish I could go back in time and erase that whole moment. Okay, so, so then the next part of the phase is life stuff, life stuff. So I talked about truth. Read through this, okay, because I'm not gonna go through it point for point. The life stuff is what I want to spend the next 20 minutes on, okay, and talk about today. The life stuff, sharing our lives together. So you look through God's word, you look at some important truths in God's word, you ask questions of God's word, you do that for, let's say, 35 minutes, okay? And then your point person says, okay, guys, it's been 35 minutes. Let's find out how everybody's doing. Let's find out how you're doing in your lives, okay? And you do, you need to be disciplined. If you're gonna do this DR well, Oh, it's hard, it's hard, because people get excited about ideas, but I, Mark is, is good at trying to keep me on track in RDR. Albert, it's time. You know, you've got to have that kind of discipline, in, in my mind, if you're going to hit the sweet spot in, the, in this DR model, which is completely optional, <laughs> by the way. I, I just get going, and I, and I lose track, and then the DR ends, and I'm like, dang it. I didn't really find out how people were doing and I'm always sad. So you, you, you wanna be careful if you're gonna try this model to make sure that you, you, you hit these different points. Um, and can I say, I just wanna testify and anybody who's been in a DR, I just wanna amen this because it might sound rote to say we're gonna, we're gonna make a division here and now we're gonna move to this section, now we're gonna move to this section. I'll tell you what, I've been amazed at how satisfied it can feel to spend a good amount of time in God's word to spend a good amount of time mining each other's hearts and to spend a good amount of time in prayer. And like how balanced that can feel. As much as it might sound rote and constrictive, I have found that my favorite DRs are when I look back and I'm like, man, I tasted, I tasted all three of those things in a beautiful way today. Can anybody amen that? Amen. I mean, it really, it really is like beautiful when we can do that. So, all right, so about the life section. Here's what I said at the very head. This is, I think, it says share your life. It should be the, it's like the fifth page for you guys. Page one, page back in front, page two, back in front, page three. This is the share your life section at the top of the heading, okay? Time suggested for this in an hour and a half of a DR is 45 to 50 minutes, 45 minutes. And this is where I say, DR should be places where we can share our lives with one another in safety. First Thessalonians 2.8. This is this beautiful, beautiful thing that Paul says. He says, he says, you guys became so dear to us. He's talking about the church in Thessalonica when he came and met them and ministered to them. You guys became so dear to us that we shared with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's just beautiful. He's saying, I, I had a mission to teach and proclaim the gospel, but we fell in love with you people and we found you to be real family. And what that led to was you weren't just people we were teaching. You were people we shared our lives with. And that's kind of the point here is that we're not just looking at God's word together, like just strictly a Bible study, which can be great and so huge. And I've been in so many good Bible studies. And if you want to do Bible study, do it. I'll come and, you know, I'll try to help you to prepare the resource. But it's wonderful when that, when that time in the word leads to deeper trust, deeper connections with one another. Um, so there's a couple of things, just P's and Q's on this. You, you want to be a place where people can be vulnerable share their joys and sorrows, share their struggles, even seek accountability for sin if needed. And what that means is you want it to be a sensitive group. You want to be, if you want to be transparent, everyone needs to agree that we're going to keep stuff in the group unless you have permission not to. Of course, 
you know, there are times in our lives where we have to tell somebody what's going on in somebody else's life. Matthew 18 talks about that, where things are so bad, or there's, so much, there's so much rebellion and resistance to repentance that you gotta get help uh, in the larger heart of the church. That's what Matthew 18 is about. But, but that's the more rare cases. Normally, we wanna give each other a, a good, biblically conditioned kind of um, confidentiality. I say biblically conditioned because there are times where we can't, keep stuff in. Um, And then the areas for discussion. So there's no perfect way to share. You wanna make room for matters closest to God's heart. Three possible areas for you to consider are the following things. This is so simple and I just think it's so good. I'm so happy (laughs) about these three things. Um, Praises, needs, confessions. You know, like the older I get and the more I do pastoral ministry, the more I just love these simple little words that kind of sum up so much and can carry the load of so much. Just, and I think these are three words that can carry so much. That when we're, when we're together and we wanna engage with each other's lives, we wanna deal with, we wanna engage praises, needs, and confessions. What do I mean by praises? I mean, where do you see the Lord? We wanna ask each other, where do you see God at work in your life right now? Consider ways you've seen him at work recently that have helped you hope in him. Express ways he's been teaching you about himself in any ways that have been renewing your soul. Share these things. It's gonna bless you and your friends. That's how we encourage each other. God's doing this thing. I saw him do this thing. He met me in this way. It was miraculous. Or maybe it was hidden. It might seem boring to other people, but I'm seeing these changes as I'm spending more time in prayer in my life. I'm seeing these changes going on. Or I got in this terrible fight with Jen and then we met with this couple and in the middle of the time with the couple, the, the guy said, oh, Albert, you know, remember James 1, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. And I couldn't believe it. It was like the first time I'd heard that verse in 15 years. And I've been just milking off that verse for two weeks. It's so great. I feel like, you know, talk about it. Don't keep it in here. That's what, that's what these extended times of praise and worship are, really. You know, we want to come here and talk about what God's been doing. You got to share that stuff. And, and when you fan into flame the, the, the love you have for God, the excitement about what he's doing, you're telling other people, that he's real. And we need to hear that all the time because all the time we're, we're tempted to not believe he's real and we're tempted to wanna give up on his thinking and his thoughts and his ways. So we need people to tell us God's not dead because listen, he's doing this work in my life. So that's what praises are about. It's about boasting in God so that God gets glory. And that's not just some sort of selfish God. I want glory. Ah, who will give me glory or I'll kill you? That's not the point. God's glory is like our, it's like our lifeblood. Like seeing God is, God's glory just means seeing him really. Like being able to really see what he's really like. That's how we survive spiritually. So we don't hear these things from each other. We're depriving of each other the opportunity to see his glory, right? So if God's doing something big in your life, you want to tell people. And for some of us, that's super easy because we're like um, Kale. If you guys know Kale, he's always like, blah, 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 blah. You know, you can't go into any room and not hear Kale. And you're like, Kale, be quiet, you know? He's just, he's just like that. He's always yelling and screaming about stuff. I'm just kidding. Kale is not like that at all. I am like that. So like with Kale, you might need to draw him out more than you need. Now he's a leader in ministry, so he knows how to talk. But if I'm sitting down with Kale, I'm gonna wanna ask him more questions and more questions. With, if you're sitting down with me, you, you have to like say, like, okay, Albert, that's enough. <laughs> so you need to know your person. Kayla, does that discourage you? All right, all right. So um, anyway, praises. Needs, the next part is needs. Consider ways that you feel your need for God's help. So many times you're gonna come to a DR and you're gonna feel like you got nothing. 
Like, is God alive? Is he real? Is he still my life? Am I still a Christian? I just feel nothing but struggle right now, you know? And you want the DR to be a place where you can say that. Like, I got needs. I got issues. I am really discouraged, you know? I'm just, I'm just down. I mean, if, you, if I'm in a regular DR in a meeting once every two weeks with guys, many of those meetings, I'm gonna come in like feeling deflated. It's just, it's just the Christian walk. The normal Christian walk is battles, struggles, joys and struggles, blessings and trials, progress and regress. That's the normal Christian life. And so some days you're gonna hit the discouragement section more than you're gonna hit the encouragement section. And some of us are like, feel like we're lifelong Debbie Downers. You know, I'm kind of like, I have a melancholy spirit. So it's just, you gotta be okay with that. Like, that's just how it's gonna go. It's a humbling process to spend decades being a Debbie Downer and see God squeakily bring you up the stairs, you know, to more and more encourage. But if you're gonna be in a, in a discipleship group, you gotta be with people who are gonna let you be that person and not all the time being like, ah, why are you always bringing me down? No, we're to be long-suffering and bear with each other, you know? We're to encourage the weak, encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and be patient with them. So, but you've also got to take a risk that you're going to bring your junk into the light with that group. So needs are just those things that you feel like you have to get out of your heart or you're going to be stuck in a really sad, hard place. And yeah, I, I just want to tell some of you guys I know have profound, like I can have, profound chronic issues with discouragement. And it is such a humbling thing to have to be in a context of relationship where you have to say again, I'm still discouraged. I'm still discouraged. James tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when you let yourself be that person, he's gonna give you grace for that. And when you decide that you don't wanna take the risk and tell the people who love you that you're struggling and have to tell them again it's a real possibility that what's working in that is pride. And I, I speak from my own experience. <laughs> in any pastor's group, I'm almost always the neediest one, I feel like. And at 51 years old, I've been doing this a long time. I just wish I was the big guy, rock star, that everybody was like, oh, he's got the answers. I'm just not that guy. But, but I think the only thing that's keep me from, from, from getting the help I need sometimes in those kind of groups is my own pride. I don't, I don't wanna need help. So I wanna encourage you guys, Watch out for pride that keeps you from revealing to people that once again, you're struggling with discouragement, okay? And I wanna tell you people who are not like that and who have like less melancholy attitudes and are more jovial and encouraged to be long-suffering. You don't know what it's like to be that chronically melancholic Albert guy. You just don't know. It, it could be a ton of his fault, but you may not know unless God makes it clear to you. It could be his you know, the suffering he went through. It could be his biochemistry. It could, it could be lots of things that you don't know. But if it's not clearly sin, then you need to be really careful to rebuke people and get on their case because they're just not getting out of the dirt in the way that you think they should, okay? So we want to be long-suffering with each other, be able to bear up each other's burdens that way. Um, it doesn't mean when we see real things that we don't correct and admonish and rebuke. We have to. We have to do that gently. Be really careful about that. Like the, the ministry of correction. We could spend a whole other couple of weeks on that. And I think in the next DR training, I'm going to put an appendix about what does it mean when we're in conflict or confrontation because I have some good stuff on that. But, all right, last category is confession. I really love this, this category because I've, I've, I've been so cared for 
in this category. Confession is this. The enemy, confession is this. Here's what I've said under confession. The enemy wants to keep us isolated, but confessing our sins to one another, bringing them into the light can be a powerful means of experiencing God's healing grace. Galatians 6.2, that's about bearing one another's burdens. And James 5.16 is about praying for one another, confessing our sins to each other so that we're healed. By the way, that, that famous passage in James, you guys have heard it many times, probably the prayer of a, of a righteous man availeth much. And that's all in the context of if someone's sick in the church, the elders anoint them. And if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. When I was in seminary, there was this guy who was this, big cessationist he didn't believe in healing was happening anymore and so he wrote this paper on how James is really talking about spiritual healing he's not talking about physical healing and I don't think that's true I think he's talking about physical healing but I also think that there's definitely a a reality that it's spiritual healing as well and and a lot of times the healing we need is spiritual healing Um, that we're not walking well with God or we're not believing the truth about God or we're just dealing with such burden and such oppression uh, from some trial that we're having such a hard time uh, hoping in God anymore. And, um, and our sin really, really can just quash us. Um, I know for myself, and I certainly know, you know in, in our church that, that when, when some of us fall down into the well of sins, we just, we have to talk to somebody. And, and God is not gonna meet us the way that he wants to meet us, just one-on-one with him. There's something he does that's beautiful and magical and special about finding someone who loves Jesus, who's a safe person, who loves you, and then coming to them and saying, this is, this is I'm just, I just really blew it. I just really blew it. And having that person hear you and really listen to you, like, and you're not, you know, you're really broken, you're really humble, you're really talking about it, and just having that person say, we, are, we all struggle, we all sin, and isn't it great that Jesus forgives you today? He forgives you. He died for that sin. He died for that sin, and he forgives you. And just having them anoint you with that healing truth of the gospel. And I have experienced so much freedom in my life and breaking out of just places of such discouragement when I've been able to have a brother like Mike or, or uh, even my wife at times or... Um, Others of you in this church where I've been able to just say, man, I just really feel like I'm struggling in this area or I blew this thing and I committed, I'd tell you. So confession in a DR group is such a sweet, in any discipleship context, is such a sweet and vital means of grace. And it's a commandment of God to confess our sins to each other. We're not talking about being Catholic where we believe we have to get the priest's blessing or else we're not forgiven. That's not what this is about. This is about humbling ourselves and enjoying bringing things into the light and having other others who have Jesus in us, having those around us who have Jesus in them saying, I see you, I know you, I know what you did was wrong, I know you, you, you feel bad about it, you feel terrible about it, and, and I tell you in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven, you are forgiven, he's a forgiver, and the Holy Spirit just comes and meets that and lifts up. <sighs> Listen, I, I, I want you guys, th- there is something supernatural about about what happens when we really get intimate with people for the sake of Christ and sharing Jesus and pursuing him together. There's something supernatural about it. It's as if, it's as if God is a relationship. 
It's as if God is a relationship and that what he, it's as if God is a relationship and that, and that his major goal for our lives is that we would bear his image or something. I know that sounds crazy, but it's as if God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who exists in eternity as a loving relationship. I know that sounds nuts. It's as if he, he actually wants us to look like him in this world as a church and, and show his image to each other and to the world. I know that sounds nuts. No, I know I'm being sarcastic. That's exactly it, isn't it? Like, how would God ever be happy if, if we just lived these, one -on -one, these, these lives of just isolation? Like, how would his image ever get born in, in isolated me in the prayer closet with God and I don't bear and walk with you and share with you? His image isn't gonna be born by that because God's a relationship. And so discipleship relationships, you know, or whatever you wanna call them, when we're together about him and around him, we're bearing his image. There's this beautiful Psalm. I think it's Psalm, oh Lord, please help me. I think it's Psalm 136. It's the psalm, so you guys can look at your phone or something and look it up, but I think it's the psalm that starts out, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Is it Psalm 136, have I got it right? How pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Can somebody tell me? It's Psalm 133? Okay. One thirty three? Okay, I'm sorry. So, so anyway, what I love about this psalm is it, it goes from like, like, it almost looks like it, it starts off Hallmark, Hallmark card. It's not Hallmark card, but it almost starts off like Hallmark card. Like just, you know, it's a modest exclamation. How pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, right? But by the end of the psalm, it's like galactic mammoth. It's like it goes crazy. It, by the end of the psalm, the psalmist says, listen, here, here's how he comments on God's attitude towards unity. He says, there God has commanded his blessing. There God has, in that place where, where brothers and sisters are dwelling together in unity, God commands his blessing. He doesn't just say, oh, I like it so much, it's so nice. No, he says, I command my blessing on that. And then what's his blessing? His blessing is life evermore. Eternal life. I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful science. What God is saying there is that when we get together, for the sake of Jesus, to share our lives with each other for the sake of Jesus, God commands eternal life to be at work in that dynamic. It's an, it's an amazing picture. Anyway, I just wanted to share that, okay? So under the life portion, on the next page, you're gonna see how to do it. The how to do it stuff follows truth, life, and prayer. Every single one of these components, truth, life, and prayer, I have principles, and then the next page, it's how to do it, where I try to walk, I try to walk out. Here are practical suggestions for how to walk this out in a group. And it just comes from questions, just simple questions, like, okay, the, the point person, whoever's covering that area would say, okay, it's, we, we've done our time in the word, now it's time to move into praises, needs, and confessions. And then they, they can bring out questions, just simple questions like, okay, guys, once again, I want to ask you this same question. Where do you see God meeting you lately? Where do you sense he's been meeting you? How have you seen his grace at work in your life recently? Or 
Not and necessarily, but or, where do you feel like you need God to meet you right now? Because you're not seeing him. What's been discouraging or draining for you lately? Or is there anything on your conscience that you'd like to share? You need to get out of your system. It's praises, needs, confessions. Very simple, okay? These questions can be asked all at once in the beginning of the life portion just to remind people and give them handles on what we're doing, okay? I want, I, here's a caveat though. We're, we're not looking for every person. Like let's say me, Kale, and Jeff. We're, we're, me, Kale, and Jeff are in a DR together. I'm not trying to say like, Kale, give me a praise, give me a confession, and give me a need. It's just whatever, whichever one of these three resonates with you. Everyone's gonna be able to resonate with a need, right? If they just stop and think, what do they need? You're gonna be able to resonate with it. But at least give me one of those. Praises, needs, or confession, okay? So that's one. Um, and, and so it's not an exhaustive thing where each person has to go through those things, okay? You guys got it. Now, I wanna qualify a couple of things and then we're gonna stop. A couple of things. It might be a while before someone feels like they can be vulnerable enough to open up about their sin struggles. Nobody should feel forced to confess in a DR, Okay, and I've spent a lot of time in confession, so I'm not gonna go over that. But that can take time. So give people time. You know, don't, don't expect that in week three you're gonna have the nirvana of relational connections. Um, some of you guys are never gonna have that with certain people in your DR. And we'll talk about it at the end at different points. They're just personalities that, that, you know, David and Jonathan had this kind of intimate best friend soulmate ship. And Jesus and the apostle John might have had that same kind of thing. It didn't have them with everybody. That's okay. You're not going to get it with everybody. But the point is, no matter what, it's probably going to take some time unless someone's really desperate to be in a place where you can share the harder, uglier stuff of your life with each other. Because people have to know that you're safe and that you're sane. And that's a function of getting to know people over time. So be patient with that. So nobody should feel forced. They got to do that. Uh, And then also, this is really important for a person like me especially. It's the Spirit's role to change one another. He can use us, but he doesn't have to use us and he doesn't need to use us, okay? It's the Holy Spirit's role. And sometimes a lot of advice sharing, I really saw this in our church when we had these bigger care groups where like one guy would say, I'm struggling with this thing. And then it just felt like obligation that like five guys, everyone would say something to that guy about the thing, you know? Well, I think you should. And by the end, I was just like, oh my gosh, what is this guy gonna do with all this advice? So I just wanna say that sharing a lot of advice, even good advice, you gotta watch out for it. For some of us have to watch out because we're advice givers, and that's me. Just too much for a person to hear and process in one meeting. So be careful not to over-advise or in other ways, monopolize the conversation. And this is the James 119 verse. Rather, we always want to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And as someone has once said, I love this, there is a reason why God gave us one mouth and two ears. It's like it's a clue. I mean, he could have given us, these could have be our mouth holes. Wouldn't that be weird? Like we would never know. But we, could, we wouldn't know any different, right? If, if all creatures in ourselves were eating and here, and then we were ta- we were. Um, <laughs> We were hearing out of this thing, our ears were here. I mean, he could have done that. Two teeth over here and two sets of lips and isn't that gross? But like he could have done it that way and nobody would know that he didn't do it. So God's a poet. He uses creation to write poetry. So one of his poems is like, you should do more listening than talking. So I'm gonna give you two ears and only one mouth. I mean, if you wanna get the ratio right, it's probably for every one word you say, you should listen to two. But my, my point is, I don't know if it's that strict. My point is listening well to one another is the most, one of the most important gifts that we can give. And I am working on this. 
I'm still, I will be working on this till I die, but I'm working on this with my marriage. That, that story, me and Jen did get in a conflict a couple weeks ago, and that was one of the big pointers that, that came out to me, is I'm just not listening like I need to listen to my, my, uh, my wife, my kids. Um, so, yeah, just listening is really important and not overloading advice. And then the, um, I think this is the last bullet point. A lot of times, um, if it's practical advice, like, oh, my tire is broke, and oh, I have a great mechanic, like, that's, you don't have to bring spiritual stuff into that. But you want to be careful when you're giving spiritual advice to people that it's rooted in God's word and it's God's truth. And it's also rooted appropriately, right? I mean, Satan used God's word in the wilderness to tempt Jesus. So not, it's not always just God's word. But, but you want to try to be careful when you're bringing advice that the principles of God's word and the encouragement and dependence on God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power are, are at the core. That you're bringing things back to the gospel. That you're, you're, in your advice giving, you're trying to bring people back to the gospel. That Jesus died for you. You're not under condemnation. His favor is on you for the rest of your life. And also, because of that, because he bought you, his power is available to you. Because Jesus' blood purchased you, and because you stand forgiven in his sight, no matter what you're going through, his power is available to you now. You want to be bringing people back to that again and again in your advice in your spiritual advice. You wanna keep who Jesus is and what he's done for each of you and me at the center and keep coming back to that. So, and I say in this paragraph, people are often underaware of two crucial things, how much they need the Lord and how abundantly sufficient is his grace for us through Jesus. If your fellowship time does nothing but refresh one another in a sense of our need of God, because he's a, God is a really holy God. He, when he says, take up your cross every day and follow me, oh my goodness, I'm, I find again and again that, that I forget that he really means that. You know? When he says, be holy as I'm holy and love one another as I've loved you and lay your life down for people, like I just forget it all the time. I find myself living, d- drifting towards lukewarmness, drifting towards, ah. Uh, I'm an American, I've, I'm middle-aged, <laughs> I have a family and a house and two cars, I have a job, I have to do normal, sane, non, like non-crazy things that won't get me arrested and be a conventional, constructive person in this life. You know, I just, <laughs> no, man, I, I have been called by a holy God out of the judgment to come the judgment that's coming upon all people. That I live in a race of lost and condemned people who don't understand that they're under the judgment of a holy God and he has saved me from that and he's calling me to walk with him in honesty and in in real relationship with him as my Lord. That's a great need. That should provoke in me, oh my gosh, I need God so much. And so that's a great thing for a DR group or any, con- any relationship, discipleship relationship to do is to remind you that you belong to God. Your life is not your own. You're called to love him and follow him and love others in his name and for his sake. And the next thing, you, if you really, as you really get that, if, I mean, if you're like me, but I think if you're probably sane, is the next thing after that is like, 
oh my gosh, I need you so much, God, please help me. <laughs> right? Like, that's the logical connection. God, I need you so much. This is not easy. I need your, I need your power. I need your burden to be light. I need your yoke to be easy. I, I need to know your gentleness to make it. And so we call out on him. We remind each other, well, that's exactly what he promises. That's exactly what he promises. If the road is narrow, the equipping is overwhelmingly superior to the, to the danger. If the danger is great, his salvation is even more powerful. If the challenge is hard, his grace and mercy available to you way meet what you need. And so that's, that's what we want to do. We want to make each other aware of both how much we need him, but how abundantly sufficient is his grace for us through Jesus all the time, every day. All the time, every day.